Welcome to the HR Stories Podcast, listener question edition, where there is a lesson in every story. Each week, the team at HR Stories Podcast shares questions from our podcast audience and provides tangible, practical advice that everyone can use to get HR right. Our hosts today are management and HR consultants, Chuck Simikian and John Tallheimer. What is on your mind today? Well, we've got travel pay, we've got communicating policies, and a question that one of our listeners uh, has asked about uh, bereavement leaves and adding some extra things. So those well, are these great three questions. of our topics. I, I, yeah, I think this is great. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. You know how much I love these sessions. Um, I, I learn from you. I think you learn from me. I'm not going to say you do, but I think you learn from me. And I know our listeners really appreciate the advice that we give them and really help provide them some direction on how to do things. And so I think we should probably talk about that travel pay. Sure, sure. So this was, this was from the HR Team of One community on Facebook. If you're not on that and you have Facebook, join the HR Team of One community. It's a bunch of like-minded professionals that, uh, well, we answer each other. It's, it's, we help each other out. And you can get some good uh, thought-provoking advice uh, from your colleagues out there. So this one starts off saying, need advice, please. Travel pay for hourly employees. We have service techs and install techs. And uh, this the, the person says, I want to focus on same-day travel out of town. How do you pay for out-of-town employees? For example, our service tech that is going to Flagstaff Arizona, which is two hours from his home. The tech clocks in at home, drives and works, and then he comes home. Now, do you pay him for all of his hours? Do you subtract his regular commute time? Let's say it's two hours, but minus the 35 minutes that he would normally commute. Uh, please let me know what you do. What should I do? What do you think? Yeah, and so I, let's go back to the Fair Labor Standard Act, right? In the Fair Labor Standard Act, um, what they say is to employ means to permit or suffer to work, right? And so when I'm always thinking about is this considered hours work, I'm going back to that definition of permitted or suffered to work, right? And so if we're asking somebody to go to a out-of-state or two hours away to another city or another town, out of town, we need to be paying them for that, right? We need to pay them for that time. Um, and so then this question becomes, okay, we have to pay them for that time. However, do I have to pay them for what they would be considered their normal commute time, which we don't normally mm -hmm. have to pay. Right? We don't have to pay our employees to drive from their home to our work. That's not our obligation. That is the employee's obligation. And so typically in these situations, Chuck, and I want to hear what you think, is I would say, all right, if it's a two hours away and typically they drive into 35 minutes into work, I would pay them only for the one hour and 25 minutes uh, of time for both sure. going to the location and coming back from location. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so uh, you could do that. 
you could do that. Uh, some companies and some places will do more than what the law uh, requires, and they'll pay the, the full two hours. It's important to understand as to uh, why we have to pay them also because this is considered a travel. So whether if they were flying on a plane, if they were uh, doing something like, like that, like to get to a, a job traveling, this is now traveling beyond their normal commute, uh, and it's during normal work hours, the law actually is fairly clear that we do have to pay people for travel pay if it's if we're asking them to travel during their normal uh, work day. So that right, is but when why. they get so there, gonna... right? If they're traveling for a convention, we have to mm -hmm. pay them for that travel. But when they get there uh, and they're not working, right? And so they're going out to dinner. Sure. They're just they're sitting in their hotel room, whatever. We don't have to pay them for that time, but the travel time to get there, we need to pay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, that's so that's one thing right off the table. So we're good there. The second thing is some companies will go ahead and they will uh, pay a travel pay. And I'm talking about hourly employees, not not right. not not salaried exempt salary exempt. There's not even a discussion because you're paying them no matter what. And based on the Fair Labor Standards Act, not part of this conversation. This is just for hourly employees. Yeah. And you can, as long as you're paying the minimum wage, you can, um, let's say they make $30, $35 an hour as a technician, but you only want to give them for travel pay, maybe it's a $20 an hour or something like that. That right. can also be done. How that is going to go over employee relations wise that's going to be up to you and your your culture at your organization. Right. However, and how you that is up. an option too. Yeah, and, and I mean again, but that just to be aware, that is also considered can be considered well considered hours works, which would then go into overtime, and then you get into okay, now I have two different rates, and how do I calculate all that? Exactly. Uh, something to be aware of, right? And so again. Your payroll folks are going to figure that out. Um, but yeah, so basically, I think the answer to this question is you would pay them for that travel time. In the, in, in the smallest cases, you wouldn't pay them for their commute time to work, but any additional time you would pay them on there. And then for the best case scenario, you would just pay them from their home until they get back home. Yeah, and, and so. to have a travel policy, John, so you're consistently applying it across the board. Yeah, and I just want to bring up one other example because the service tech reminded me, there was a company, I think it was down in Florida, um, HVAC company. And so they don't, they pay the, their techs from every time they go from a location to the next location, to the next location, the next location. What they were doing though, at the end of the last location, that would be the last time they would pay them and they would go home to they wouldn't get paid for going home. Mm -hmm. What was happening though was the techs were going home and doing works on the van. Like they were doing the inventory, the computer reports and all that kind of stuff. And they got in trouble for not paying that commute to that last workplace, which was actually home. Right. Um, and so being aware of that, like, okay, if you leave that workplace, you're not doing any more work. So just kind of defining that in there as well. So excellent, excellent discussion.
Yeah, love it. All right, are you ready for question number two? Yes. Okay, just checking. All right, uh, so this is what the question was, and we got this from a listener, and they wanted to know, they were curious to know how you all, right, how do we handle communicating policies to the employees that aren't in the employee handbook? How do you communicate yeah. those? And I know you've dealt with this as an HR director a lot, Chuck. Absolutely. There's always an owner or a senior leader says, we need to get a policy out. So I, I'm, I'm guessing for this situation that this is a, uh, you have your handbook, you have your policies, and someone says, hey, we need this policy on this new procedure or something like that. We need some, we got a new piece of equipment or we got, so we need a new policy. Um, one thing just this is probably part of a bigger discussion, but you don't have to put every policy in the employee handbook. And I know that sounds kind of like, what do you mean by that? You can put uh, general policies in there. You can put um, uh, overall policies, but some companies actually have policy and procedure manuals that are separate from the employee handbook. And sometimes the employee yeah. handbook might reference that uh, hey, these policies can always change. Make sure you check with your manager or supervisor. And of course, you uh, refer to the policy and procedures uh, handbook. So that can be done. You don't have to update your handbook every time a new policy comes out. But a best practice, I would say, is uh, if a new policy is coming out, you introduce it as a memo, either electronic or there are so many new ways, but you know, an electronic memo, a, a handwritten memo, an email uh, memo of some sort, saying, Wait, did "Hey, you here's say our new policy." Did you say handwritten? I didn't mean handwritten. I didn't mean handwritten. I meant typed, <laughs> typed out, and sent via email. That now is handwritten to me, I guess. Okay. Go, going back to the old days when we used to yeah. have people write these things out. Uh, yeah. Well, right. Okay. All right, yeah, so, so many things getting... now there. Yeah, yeah, I got to tell you, there's a lot of HR systems now where you can push out a new policy and it'll you'll, people will actually get a, a a a a ding ding on their phone and they can go and they can acknowledge the policy. And then you on the HR side can keep track of that. So there That's are great. a variety of ways. But let's say we're going to do it the old fashioned way, John. Yeah. I would I would write it up as as a memo. I would attach the policy, and then basically, uh, depending on on the effect of the policy and the the weight of it, I would have all the employees sign it. I would have it as a separate signature event. I would have them acknowledge it that they've received the policy, and then I would have it in their file. One of the reasons companies mess up and get sued and lose in court is they can't produce. They have policies, but they can't show or prove that the employee knew about it. So if it's not in the handbook and the employee signed off on the handbook and you have a one-off policy, that's the best practice there. Yeah, I mean, I agree, um, and I, and I because I was when I read this question, I was thinking, and thank you for correcting me. I was thinking, well, why don't you have it in your employee handbook, right? But it's true, right? There are companies. Sometimes we'll put out a policy, we'll do something that we don't have in the employee handbook. And while we can debate whether that's a good thing or not, I believe 
Let's put it in the employee handbook. But I do agree with you. There could be standard operating procedure manuals for each department exactly. that may be separate, right? Um, and so, but if you have a policy, you do need to make sure that it's being sent out and it's being received and acknowledged by that employee. And one of the things that I would do is I don't think an email is enough. I don't think a text is enough, right? And so as a HR professional, if I'm communicating out a new policy, uh, first I'm working with the leadership team, making sure they understand what that policy is and correcting everything. I don't want to caught them off guard. I want to make sure they know what it is. And then I'll send an email out. I'll send the text out. I'll communicate it through the chat, whatever I'll do. But then I'm also following up in staff meetings. Yes. And so I'll sit down with every staff and go, okay, here's the new policy. Here's what it means. Here's how it's going to impact you. Making sure the manager is communicating that out and really get in there. Because we know, let's face it, we all get like 148 emails a day. That one from HR is not the most important one, right? From first their boss, maybe their coworkers, maybe the leader, and then HR. And so just following up and making sure they get it and they're acknowledging it and they understand it is, I think, going to be critical on that. Yeah. And so. you cannot, yeah, you cannot have an, a, a, I don't know if use the word discipline, adverse employee action event without proving that they knew the policy. So great. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the final uh, question that came up was about bereavement policies. And this person was was looking to benchmark some ideas. And they wanted to update, says, thinking of updating our bereavement policy to include some time for pre-death benefits when the family is in hospice, possibly some time off with half pay. Uh, please, uh, can you share some ideas and thoughts of what you might have, what is best? And also, this was kind of interesting. Do you include pets in your bereavement policy? So, John, what are your thoughts on bereavement policies and doing these types of things? Well, first of all, I think we need to look to your state laws, right? Where your employees are working, you have to look, does the state law have a bereavement requirement? Now, mm -hmm. most states don't, um, but you do have to check. You have to do your research. You have to do that. Um, I think that that bereavement is such an important thing to think about, or grief is an important thing to think about from the employee's standpoint and the impact it's going to have on their work, right? And so when somebody close to them passes away, how are they going to respond? Now, all employees respond yeah. differently, and it's our job as HR going, okay, what is how are we want to be this? I had a friend of ours who lost her husband. Um, I think at the time, both of them were in their 40s, right? Unexpectedly lost her husband. Um, and she, the company said, take whatever time you want. Take whatever time you want. And, you know, you come back. You're a valuable employee. You come back. And literally, she was out for a year. Mm -hmm. Now, I think that's a little excessive to, you know, for a company to hold somebody's position for that long time. I'm not in terms of the mourning and grieving process, but I think it's hard for a company, most companies to hold somebody there. And so I think that's the culture. I think that's the thing you kind of really need to think about it. thinking about the grieving process and in what is right. 
And I think this listener really brings up some interesting perspectives. So in terms of pets, more and more companies are understanding that pets are family members and there's going to be some grief around that, right? Yes. And so Huge. grief is such a hard thing because it doesn't happen like, all right, you can get my, I'll be over my grief in three days. I remember when my dog passed away, God, now like eight years ago, and um, I was out, but I was out for like maybe a day, right? And then I went back to work and it was fine, but it would hit me suddenly, right? And there I would be at work or I would be in that situation where I was grieving and I wasn't working at my highest level, right? And so we're kind of paying attention to that. So I think, yes, build something in there for pets, but be very clear. What does it mean? You know, make sure that you're defining it and getting to specifics. Um, so I think that's interesting. But I think the other thing that's interesting in this article is that pre-death benefit. Mm -hmm. uh, and how do we build that? I don't, I don't, I just think it's interesting, Chuck. I would love to hear what you kind of think about that and how you would respond sure. to that. Sure. So the first thing I just want to address is, should we do half pay? If you're salaried exempt employees, don't even mess with that. There is no half pay. Okay. You can't not have variable pays uh, for something like that, especially if it's in the same week or so. The other thing is you have to be consistent and it's a tough thing to figure out uh, if someone's in hospice, they could be in hospice for weeks or months. And so how do you define that? How do you do you do uh, three days, five days, a week or so? How do you stay consistent? And so that's going to be the big the big question. I think it's awfully nice. I think it's great. I think it it would reflect the culture of your organization if you can you can do that. Uh, but you just have to be consistent and so, have. Go ahead. Yeah. So let me ask you this question. Now, this one will apply to all of our listeners out there, employees. Well, what about, I would assume if somebody is passing, um, that they may fall under the Family Medical Leave Act. Yes. And so in those cases, taking time off to care for that family member pre-death would fall under Family Medical Leave Act. Mm-hmm. Now, not, not all the cases, right? Not all the situations may fall under there. Um, so I think Family Medical Leave Act would cover you up until that, until the passing of that employee or family member. And then bereavement could kick in on there. So that may be some, another way to look at that is do you have a leave policy to take care of people with a serious health condition in there? Sure. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. All right, good. This has uh, been a great conversation, great uh, questions. Anything yeah. else to wrap us up for the day? No, but I, I mean, I love this segment. I love that the listeners are asking these questions. And I think what they don't see, right? What they don't see, Chuck, is I, us going, wait, how would I respond to that? How is that? And we want to give you the best advice possible. But again, right, we don't know your story. We don't know your situation. So if you're not 100% sure and you don't feel comfortable, make sure you're reaching out 
to your legal representative just to make sure you're getting the right information, right? And so um, we want to give you guidance, but we also want to make sure, because we don't know your personal situation, listeners, uh, we want to make sure that you get the right guidance for your organization so you're making the best decisions. So, All right. And thanks for listening to the HR Stories podcast, where there's a lesson in every story. Thank you for listening to the HR Stories podcast. The material presented in this podcast is for informational purposes only. Chuck and John always recommend using an employment lawyer or HR consultant to handle any legal concerns or HR issues. We do our best to double check sources and make sure the information we are providing is accurate. We may eliminate or embellish without changing the basic narrative to make the story easier to understand. In certain circumstances, we may change identifying information to protect the innocent. The HR Stories broadcast is brought to you by the team at HR Stories. The team at HR Stories is designed to help anyone with HR responsibilities be better at managing the employee experience. To engage with us, go to thehrstoriesteam.com and learn more about how the team at HR Stories can support your business or nonprofit. Thank you for listening to the HR Stories podcast, where there is a lesson in every story. <laughs>